Brilliant. So my name's Ali, Ali Lane, and uh, I uh, work for the Baptist Union of Scotland, uh, which I never thought I would ever say those words. Uh, but there we go, you find yourself going through some things, and you find yourself doing things in life that you never thought for a moment that you would end up doing. My role is uh, quite a new role, uh, in fact it's a very new role to the Baptist Union, um, and it's called, and it's got the longest title in the world, the Next Generation Development Coordinator for the Baptist Union of Scotland, which I don't put on any form of business cards or emails, <laughs> I just tend to talk about it's young people. Teens and twenties, or young youth and young leaders, or I use words like that rather than my big full title. So, uh, and what's that about? I think my ask about to share a wee glimpse of what it is, and it's because as a as a as a union of churches, there's like 163 churches that that we're all interconnected and interdependent of one another, and we worship God in Scotland in a context where, if anything, like you, when I left my street this morning. I'm pretty much there's one other person who leaves our street round about the going to church time on a Sunday morning. And that's not, unnor- uh, you know, not unusual in Scotland. Whatever statistic you look at, 95% of people probably don't come together to worship Jesus together as family. And in younger, that's almost certainly true for those that are under the age of 30 in our nation. And uh, here's the thing. Jesus is good news. Jesus has the power to transform lives, to give hope, to answer all the questions that people face in life. He has the answer. The good news is still good news. It's never stopped being good news. And uh, so we've got a job to do here. How do we take the good news to these younger generations in a way that's relevant to them that they can access and find faith and freedom in Christ? And that's my role, is to work with our churches, is to serve the churches like you guys here and other churches around the nation to actually go, right, you want to connect with some younger folk? Let's think about how we can do that then. What does it look like? What changes do we need to make? Where do we need boldness and courage to go and do that? And that's uh, what we're doing. And um, just to give you a glimpse, we've got a whole bunch of stuff happening, but one, one, one thing that we're very excited is that a number of our churches in partnership with Alpha and in partnership with the Eden bus, which is the coolest double-decker bus that's been kitted out inside and it's got Xboxes and climbing walls and all sorts of things inside it. And uh, it's to go into communities where young people are maybe third or fourth generation disconnected from churches and go, come and hang out for us. And in the process of hanging out with us, we can, we take them through the process of Alpha. We've piloted it down in Ayrshire. We saw 100 young folk every single Tuesday night, and then the Wednesday night, the Church of Scotland were partnering with doing it on the Wednesday night, they saw 100 people go through. They saw 14 young folk come through onto the Alpha from those 100 people. And they saw the vast majority of that group still connected within the life of the church. Some of them have come to faith in Jesus. Many of them, in fact, have come to faith in Jesus. They're rough around the edges. They challenge what it is to us, to what it is to the church. Like, church now down at South Beach, they have to consider bag breaks. Because uh, they have to work out what, what's this going to look like if we're going to connect with young folk. How are we going to do this? And uh, they're thinking through things like that. What does that mean? And these young folk uh, love Jesus, but they're on a journey to working out what that means and the implications of that in their life. And that's the kind of stuff we do at Project 1010, Life to the Full. We want to give young people a chance all over Scotland to respond to the gospel. And so that's my role. Um, 
That's what I try and do, and that's what gets me up in the morning, because I'm passionate that uh, the message of Jesus is relevant. And hopefully this message of Jesus is relevant to us today as well. Um, we're going to, I was praying um, when Mark asked me to come along, and sometimes you get invited along to a church to speak, and it's really nice, he sends you a passage. You go, oh, that's one less thing to begin to worry about, you know, what, what, what passage to Mark didn't, he just went, yeah, come along. So I, I had a wee prayer, and we thought, and there's one passage that just should have come into mind and one theme and that's the theme of fear and what place fear has in our life and what Jesus and scripture has to say about actually our response to fear in life and so we're going to read together uh, from Matthew chapter 6 uh, verses 25 to 34 now I've just picked up because I'm recording on there normally I read from my Bible on my phone so I'm going to read from this Bible version up the back here which is the Christian Standard Bible. So, hopefully, it follows with whatever version you're reading with. Verse 25 in Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, just to give you a bit of context, it's in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Isn't life more than food? and the body more than clothing. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single moment to their lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labour or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of those. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, wouldn't he do so much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, in other words, folk who don't know God, eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you therefore don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own Amen so I'm sure if you've been around church you've probably heard that passage a number of times and uh, I, I'm pretty sure that there's nothing new, hugely, in what I'm going to say today. But here's the thing. Fears are very real. And they've got a real way. I'm not talking about huge, horrendous fears of, like, end-of-the-world comets hitting the earth or, you know, massive things. I'm talking about the fears in life that Jesus is talking about in this passage here. Fears about... You know, what am I going to eat? Have I got enough money to eat? Have I got enough money for my bills? Am I, am I going to get that promotion? Am I not going to get that promotion? Am I going to be able to do this or not do this? The little fears of life that get in the way. He's talking at these kind of fears. And I think that's really important for us that we come back to these kind of passages regularly. Because fear has a habit of weak working into our lives even when we don't even realise it's fear at the root of some of the decisions and actions that we are undertaking. And it's really important that we take time to consider that on a regular basis as we try and work things out. 
So, I, like I said, I work a lot with young people, and uh, there's many studies on what they call the millennial or the Gen Z now, which is a new generation coming up. And one of the one of the things that they find about young people is that they have higher levels of anxiety and fear than previous generations. They worry about things a lot more. They're anxious about things a lot more. They've grown up, certainly teenagers have grown up in the backdrop of post 9-11 when terrorists is a, a thing that's all over the place. That wasn't my experience, that was something that happened in specific areas where I grew up in Scotland. And um, there's a lot of fear in those generations. And I will go around in my work and I, and I see a lot of churches and I meet a lot of folk. And I, and I notice fear is an interesting thing. Some churches I go to are very fearful of the future. They're very fearful that they're going to have to close the door. We had a great chat before the service. I arrived early because I wasn't sure if it was 10, 30 or 11. Okay, the great Sunday day mate. Oh, I wonder what time it is. And uh, we had a great chat and um, talking about actually at one point here. That was a real fear and concern that, we could, that the doors could have been closed here a couple of years ago. And the celebration that that didn't happen and life is here. What an incredible testament to God and to the people of this church for the courage to make decisions to change. That keeps going. I see fearless churches as well. Churches like this church are attempting to engage with the hard work of the gospel and stepping out and uh, trying to make Jesus known to people around <coughs> So there are big fears, there are overwhelming fears, but there also are uh, trivial fears like the budget and family and all that kind of stuff. That we, they're not trivial, sorry, that's the wrong word. But they are just the regular things in life that we worry and get anxious about. Um, I was uh, on Friday, which was my day, my prep day usually is a Friday for, for speaking, and uh, I, I, I didn't. Um, I should make find out in a minute. No, uh, <laughs> because my very good friend, who's from Iran, uh, it was his appeal for his right to remain in Scotland. He's been living here for two and a half years. He's become a really good close friend of mine. And um, his story is that he knows real fear. He came to faith in a regime that does not allow him to be a Christian. And uh, he was with friends, worshipping when they were raided and they had to run and literally he ran with clothes on his back and that's what he had and he spent you hear stories in the news about people in lorries he spent the best part of a week in the back of a lorry and they opened the doors he got, into, he got off one lorry jumped another he had no idea what country he was in and eventually they opened the door and he was in Glasgow and uh, that was that Thursday and uh, on the Sunday morning he came to church and uh, began a journey and uh, throughout that time he's been exploring what it is to be a Christian in greater depth. I've had the privilege of baptising him, the privilege of getting to know him and so he knows fear in his life and we were sitting at the tribunal and he'd asked if I would go and be his witness that he wasn't making this thing up that he, he loved Jesus, that he was here because if he goes back to Iran, imprisonment's the best option, persecution, death could be his thing. He knows fear. And so uh, we're sitting in this roasting hot room, and literally, it's a fascinating place. It's the Eagle Building, which is where these courts are. There are people from around the nations all waiting for these hearings here and there. 
and uh, we sat for five hours waiting for the judge to call our case and uh, we, we used Google Translate to talk, um, mostly about football, but uh, we, we used Google Translate and then I could see his leg was doing the tap and I could see his hands were getting there and he was more anxious and more fearful and uh, he leaned over to me and then he's pitching English and he's put his hand in my hand and uh, would you pray for him? And in the middle of this crowded room, as he was so anxious and so fearful, uh, we prayed with each other and I, I prayed for him before he went into this, um, this court. And now he has to wait four to six weeks to find out whether that's been be- he's been believed and whether he's allowed to stay. And so we keep praying that anxiety is there. There's someone who knows fear at an extreme level. Fear of the future, fear of changes, fear of circumstances that can change. Our lives sometimes do, our fears do seem like they're trivial. But they aren't to God. And, and Jesus talks about these fears in this passage. And let's just want to spend some time going through the passage, drawing out some verses, um, thinking about what that maybe has implications for us, and then talking about actually how do we overcome the fears that are so evident in all our lives. So, verse, uh, the start of the passage, Jesus is speaking um, as part of the sermon, the Mount, as Matthew records it, and he says, you know, don't be anxious about food and drink. Don't be anxious about the everyday things in life. Don't be fearful about the everyday things. It's uh, the New Living Translation actually has the word everyday in it. It's, it's, it's everyday life stuff we're talking about. Fear can really get in the way. And then verse 26 goes on and talks about that God looks after even the birds. And if he's going to look after the birds, how much more valuable are you than birds to God? And the implication is far more valuable. Now, wherever you stand in that, we're all part of God's great creation. But you're really significant and you're really valuable. <coughs> To God, you matter. You are valuable. And because you're valuable, God wants you not to live your day, day in, day out, consumed by fears and anxiety. Because it steals life from you. It steals your life experience. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life to the full. A fullness of life. He wants each day to be full of opportunity to encounter his life and to see his kingdom come. And we'll explore what it is to seek the kingdom as we get to the end of this passage. I recently watched a TED talk because I was at something that showed a TED talk, not because I watched many of them. And it was a report from a Harvard University study in America. Now, Harvard, they had been studying men for 75 years. After 30 years, they decided to add some women in as well. So they've been studying men and women for this length of time, right through the duration of folks' lives. And they've been studying to find out, you know, life. What happens in life and what makes up life. And they've come to some observations. That those in the study that live with high levels of anxiety and fear die younger than those that didn't. Very simple Measurable fact. And so Jesus is speaking thousands of years before this study that takes place is basically telling people, don't worry. Don't have fear about the simple things in life, the pattern of life. 
You need to be ruthless at getting rid of the fears in your life because it steals life. It steals life from you. You're valuable to me and I don't want you to have life stolen from you. Then it goes on and Jesus says in verse 28, it's not just about food or whatever, he talks a bit about clothing, about appearance. How we look. And if anything in this generation is an obvious generation, in those days, this is always really good when Jesus speaks into a culture and if you read into it, you kind of get, people haven't really changed. So the, the thing is, he's going at the people and saying, don't worry about what clothes you're wearing. Okay? Don't worry about what the latest gown fabrics are or the, or the sandals are. Whatever, your, whatever straps you've got. I've got a leather one. It's lovely camel. It's amazing. I don't know. Whatever it is that they were wearing at the time. Whatever it looked like. Don't worry about that. And if anything, in this generation, as we look around, people are consumed with appearance. And I'm not just talking about clothing at this stage. Okay, I'm quite clearly not hugely. But there we go. But people, social media, selfies, people are consumed with getting great photos of themselves, portraying a certain appearance. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. That's going to bring fear and anxiety into your life. And it does. And even at a chemical brain level, there's studies carried out and a variety of folks that actually, as folk put up pictures, their mental health and their physiological sort of stuff, their chemical stuff inside, can change depending how many people like it or write a comment about, oh, you look amazing. <laughs> Emoji going love heart or whatever. Or, that looks awesome. You go, girl, or whatever. I don't know. Right. <laughs> it releases chemicals in the brain that makes that an addictive thing. Oh, I better do that again because I want that hit of feeling great because someone's liked my appearance. Someone's liked my appearance. Someone's liked my video. It can happen in church as well. Now, I should say it's really important that we give good feedback to folk in church. I think that's really good. But sometimes, poor old Mark at the end of a sermon, he's not going out the park, but no one says anything at the end of it. And he goes home and he's crestfallen. That's what happens, right? You go, home, oh, I don't know what I was doing. That was a disaster. Right, I don't even know if that made sense. Did that make sense? And then you get panicked. It's a real issue, isn't it? It can get really into it, that whole idea of how do things sound, how do things come across? And it can build up fear in our mind. So please do give feedback, but don't do like super silly and kind of over the top flowery. Well, would you like that? <laughs> well, well, it's not for anything, but. <laughs> but <laughs> we don't want to build a craving culture where we're actually getting so addicted to it. And get stuck in that. But, yeah, it has to be a clothing, appearance. And, and Jesus simply says, you know, consider the lilies, consider Solomon and all his splendor. How amazing they look. That's, that's nothing, it doesn't really matter. What matters is this, that God knows you and he knows your life. And because he knows you, he knows what you need. He knows what you need. You are known to God. You are known to God. And um, this, this last month, I think it was, was the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. He's an incredible man, Martin Luther King. But there's one story that I particularly love. And it's one day he's sitting in his kitchen alone, the kids are down, his wife's asleep, and he's in the kitchen, and, he, and his phone goes. And he picks up the phone, and it's a threatening phone call that basically says, if you keep doing what you're doing, 
we're going to kill you and we're going to kill your family. And he's crestfallen. He's full of fear. And he goes back to the kitchen. And uh, this kind of interaction is recorded. He, he, he begins to pray. And he begins to talk to the Lord before him. He says, God, I need you. I've followed you all my days. I've been in church all your days. I've spoken all over. I've spoken about your kingdom and about justice. I've preached it. I've tried to live it out the best I can. I believe in you. But I need to hear you. And I don't think I've ever heard you say my name. And in that time of prayer, he heard the still small voice of God come to him and simply say, you are not alone, Martin. You are not alone, Martin. And it was a catalyst for him going to the next stage. And ultimately it did cost him his life. But we know now it was that not that everything was sorted. And it made a huge impact into justice being in North America for blacks and, and whites to be equal and not segregated. You are not alone. That's what God knew him. He needed to hear God speak to him. And he heard God speak to him because God knows you. And he knows what you need to get you through. He could have prayed, please stop this. He could have prayed, please, I don't want to see this happen. And he could have prayed any number of things, but what he said was, I need to know that you're with me, God. God knows you. And then if we jump back just a little bit, verse 30, there is this verse that we can't get away from in the midst of it. Where Jesus says in turns when he's talking about people getting so worried about the things of life, the little things of life, the clothing and food and how they earn and how they connect. And he says, oh, you have little faith. You have little faith. And he says that a few times in scripture, that line. Oh, you've not got enough faith. You've not got enough faith to believe. And I was thinking about it. Because Jesus never preached anything that he wasn't authentically living out in his own life. He never talked about anything or taught anything that wasn't true to his own life. So as he was teaching people to not worry about where food was going to come from and where clothes were going to come from and where God was going to provide from, that was his life experience. He was solely obedient to the Holy Spirit guiding him in every aspect. We know that scripture multiple times it says, I only say what I hear the Father say. I only go where I see the Father going. I only do what I see the Father doing. He was completely obedient and lived this out authentically. And he did that all because he had faith in a God who was his father, who loved him, who could provide for him, who knew him, who valued him. He had faith in who it was that was there for him and with him. And so when Jesus says this, oh, you have little faith, he's not saying that as a scolding, horrible, oh, you're rubbish because you don't have any faith for this. He's speaking it from, if you only knew, when you live and give yourself completely over to following God, as I'm doing and modelling to you amongst you, if you only knew what it was like to just be fully reliant on the Spirit's guiding and knowing God's providing for you, you'd know life was so much more than clothes and food and finance and those kind of things. So there's something about faith here and having faith in the one who provides for us and looks after us. Faith in God. <laughs> Jesus is born And um, then he goes on through the passage. 
towards the end. And there's this little line, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all those things. Unbelievers seek after these concerns and worries about life. They get caught up in the fear and anxieties. And actually one of the great witnesses, Christian witnesses that you can do in life, that any of us can do in life, is what Jesus is trying to say here is, if we live free from these fears about the patterns of life, so live free from fear about what Brexit implications could have for us, for instance, or whether there's a big national war, I'm not getting into politics, but free of whatever that means, whether that happens or whether it doesn't happen. The people that live free from that stuff are meant to be. That's just what Jesus is trying to say. It's one of the great ways and differences between followers of Jesus, <coughs> believers in God, and the rest of the world. We're meant to be fear-free. And when we do have fear, we're meant to be the people that are actually honest about it. I say, well, I'm scared of this, but I know I've got a God to provide for me. And go through the process of actually connecting God's reality into our reality so that the fear is delivered from us. It's such an important one. I think about my street, I don't know about your street or your neighbours. Do I get caught up in the same fears and anxieties? It snowed this week, will the bin lorry come? One of the great fears of our street, or will the back will we have their own bin out in the day that the bins come? Am I the one that's out there in the middle of the street going, Oh, I know, it's awful. I'm so worried. I'm so anxious about it. These are the things that we have conversations about. Maybe that's just my street, but we talk about these things. And folk get so caught up. Where's differences in that trivial situation? Where we can actually go, ah, actually, do you know what? I'll be fine. Just sit in. And if I have to put it in the bag and take it down to the dump myself, I'll do that. We've managed most of modern life in Scotland without a bin service. I'm sure we can manage to sort it out. But these are the things we get caught up in. Fears and anxieties about whether these are going to come. And Jesus ends the passage with this. His big kind of thing. So he's revealed something of who God is, that he thinks you're valuable, that he cares for you, that you're known to him. He's revealed that throughout the teaching here. Don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. Here's who God is, here's who God is, here's who God is. Have faith in that God. That he cares, he knows, he thinks you're valuable. That's who God is. That's his nature. And here's what we do. Here's our response. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Don't worry about tomorrow. Be present right now in whatever situation and seek first the kingdom of God. Because fear will always build a massive picture of what could be in worst case scenario that could happen down the line. It builds up and it builds up and it runs through your head and it runs through your head. It stresses you out. You get angry. You get tetchy. You have a disagreement with your wife. You know, you do all these kind of things because fear is taking root and built up in there. You're away down two weeks down the line for that deadline or that whatever it is that you're trying to sort out. You're not present and realising. What's the kingdom perspective here? The kingdom perspective is always, as Jesus instructed his disciples to pray, our Father in heaven, Holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's an eternal prayer that is true for every single moment of life and every single situation of life. What is heaven's perspective at this particular point? Stop. Don't get caught up down the line in tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. But right now, right here, what's heaven saying? What's God saying? What's the kingdom 
breakthrough possibility here. Fear is not about us being courageous to overcome it. It's actually a lot more to do with humility and vulnerability than it is to do with courage. Fear means we have to stop and reflect on life at regular points and listen to God. Is reflecting on life, is that decision that I made there motivated out of anxiety and fear? Is my behaviour fear rooted? Am I doing it because I'm worried about something? I'm worried someone will reject me. I'm worried that that's going to mean a change. I don't like change, so I'm not going to do that. We need to be present and stop. And be reliant. And that's what God's, uh, Jesus is saying here in the, in the passage. We need to be reliant and honest about where we're at and just say, God, this is where I'm at. I am fearful. Now, what you don't know, for me, is anxiety is rife in my family. We are a family of huge warriors and fearful about everything. Generally about appearances. Grew up in a house that was very appearance-driven. You know, don't tell anyone it's chaos. You know, as long as you put on a good face, it'll be okay. And fear of rejection was huge as well in our, in our house growing up. You know, don't do that because that could upset someone and then they might not talk to you anymore. And so I've had to work through quite a few in the whole area of fear. How do we do that? We have to start with honesty that we have fears. Because bravado in culture is you just face it out and pretend. I don't have, I'm not feared of anything. I'm not scared. We have to be honest and say, actually, we do have fears. That's what we do with them. We have to take them to Jesus and put faith in God that he will help us out. So I guess what I, my, one of my challenges would be as we come to finish here is this. As Jesus taught that message, I'm sure all of them are thinking about their lives. They're thinking about their anxiety. I'm sure everyone who sat there listening to Jesus talk about worrying about clothing. I probably think of all the times they've worried about clothing. I mean, they're worried about food for finance. They're thinking, oh, yes, I do worry about that. Actually, I'm starving. I'm worried about it just now. And they, could, they could at that very moment be worried about it. And they're sitting there going, oh, right, I need to not. I, I need to not. And uh, I need to seek the kingdom. Now, that's what I need to do. I need to trust in, 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 in the Father to provide. That's what I need to do. Because Jesus was right there. And he's still here. His Spirit's always here with us. We gather. He's here just now. What are the fears in your life? And where is Jesus in the midst of those fears? Because one of the great things to, to know that, about the faith, and we've talked about, we've sang about it all throughout here, is we are not alone in this. God is with us, Jesus is with us, in everything. For my pal, there was a number of us physically with him on Friday and a huge number praying on Friday for him he was not alone but the most important one was he knew that God was with him, the spirit was with him where is Jesus in the fear you are facing and where is the kingdom perspective in the fear you are facing 
And Jesus finishes obviously with the seek first his kingdom. And there's lots that can be said about God's kingdom. There's lots of books and lots of sermons that have been written on it. There's basically that heavens to earth kind of thing. That we overcome fear through faith in God that has, he is with us. That he has a providing God he's going to provide for us. But also, there is something here about seeking the kingdom and seeking to live in righteousness. Are we living in ways that are righteous? Are our behaviours in line with the righteousness of Christ? Are our values in line with the righteousness? Are we looking for the way that Jesus would respond to the situations that we face? 1 John 4.18 simply says, Perfect love casts out all fear. We have a God who knows us, values us, cares for you and loves you. He's with you. His love casts out. But sometimes we need to take a moment to present our fears before him and say, God, here's what it is. I'm being honest before you. This is my thing that I get anxious or worried about or fearful about. I give it to you. I'm believing and putting faith in you that you're a God who loves me. Would your perfect love come and cast this fear out of me? And that's what we're going to do. I'm just going to finish. I just think it'd be really great. It's quite warm. It's a sunny day. I don't want to steal too much time. But I think it'd be important that just in this moment we just take a moment that if there's a fear, and we all have them in life, that we just take that before the Lord just now and just invite all his presence here and just say, God, would you just cast machine your love in my life, in my life? I may be free from this and begin to move into freedom from this fear. Let's just have a moment of quiet. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you are here with us. You are a God, Father, that loves us, that knows each and every one of our lives and our situations, knows each and every one of our fears, and yet you're the God who says, do not fear. Father, we want to ask that in this place, that Spirit of God, you would come and just, uh, in the Romans 5 way, that you would come and just pour your love into our hearts and our minds, that we would know that we are free from those fears. And don't have to live in them. Come, Spirit of God. And Father, where sometimes we hide our fears and cover them up with bravado, would you help us to be authentic and real and vulnerable with each other? That as we share with each other the fears that we hold, we would know freedom in that process of sharing and encouraging and supporting each other. (coughs) Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you.
if there's something that you just feel that would be helpful to talk to someone about, and pray, I know Mark said there'd be prayer available here, in the corner down here, it's good to share the fears that we carry, because as we share, there is freedom in that as well. And as two or three gather together to pray with you in that, the Spirit comes and change happens. We need more churches and more people that love Jesus that are free of fear. Because uh, our country needs to be fear free. And people need to know that it is possible to be free of fear.